Hey guys, welcome to the History of Vikings. Before we begin today's show, I have a very exciting piece of news to share with you, and that is that the History of Vikings podcast is now proudly sponsored by a company known as the Froggy Viking. They make beautiful hand-carved drinking horns, and I encourage you to check out their website, thefroggyviking.com, but more from them later. If you enjoy the History of Vikings, then do me a favor and write me a review, as I would love to hear your feedback. And the more reviews the show gets, the easier it is for people to find. Also, you can always feel free to contact me with any questions, episode ideas, or Viking-related guests that you think I should have on the show. My email is noah at thehistoryofvikings.com. Again, that's noah at thehistoryofvikings.com. Now, on with the show. Today, I'm joined by Eleanor Parker. She is lecturer in medieval English literature at Brasenose College, Oxford. Dr. Parker writes an acclaimed blog in her guise as a clerk of Oxford. In 2015, her blog won the Longman History Today Award for Digital History, and she currently writes for History Today magazine. She is also the author of a book coming out this September called Dragon Lords, The History and Legends of Viking England. Eleanor, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to talk to you. So before we get into your book, my first question to you is, you know, of all places, why did the Vikings come to England and why did they decide to settle there? Obviously, they were natives of uh, the Scandinavian countries, but why England? And when they did come to England, what sort of legacy did they leave behind and how did the Vikings shape the history of England? Well, I mean, the, the real answer to that question is that the Vikings were active um, throughout the British Isles and, of course, in Scandinavia um, and through large parts of Europe and beyond. Um, they were very adventurous people. Um, and, uh, you know, for trading purposes, for the purposes of kind of um, gaining political power, um, expansion um, and, uh, you know, um, plundering the rich resources um, of various European countries, um, they travelled a long way from their Scandinavian homelands. Um, so one of the things that my book is interested in is answering that question, um, why did the Vikings come to England from the perspective of English people um, in the Middle Ages? And they tended not to think in terms of most of those motivations. Um, they were trying to come up with um, sort of other reasons why the Vikings might have been interested in England specifically. They had a rather Anglo-centric view of that question. Um, they weren't really thinking about the Vikings as having this kind of broader context, but they thought the, the Vikings really, really wanted to come to England particularly. Fascinating. Is it true that when the Vikings first invaded England that um, perhaps some of the Anglo-Saxons thought it was for religious reasons in that God was uh, coming to smite them and, and um, t you know, place his wrath upon them for like national sin or something like that. These pagan Northmen uh, were coming to invade England for uh, religious reasons. And that was sort of God's hand or is that sort of a, a misconception? Yeah, that was definitely one way that some uh, medieval churchmen tried to understand this kind of phenomenon that um, seemed to them like something very kind of new and, and terrifying, really, as I think it would have been. They were trying, they, they wanted to know why God was allowing this, really. Um, so they weren't particularly interested in the idea that the Vikings might have had motivations of their own. They were seeing the hand of God in permitting this, you know, maybe to kind of chastise um, sinful Englishmen or, um, you know, reform, kind of produce a kind of moral reform um, through allowing the Vikings to attack. Um, but actually, it seems like 
there probably was no real religious motivation um, on the part of the Vikings. That's very much a sort of um, the perspective of their victims. They thought that this was a sort of pagan onslaught, but I don't think we have much evidence to suggest that the Vikings really were motivated by a kind of hostility to Christianity um, particularly. Yeah, interesting. So when the Vikings did invade England, um, how did that look? How did their interactions with the English go? I mean, did they sort of, you know, invade and, and plunder and pillage throughout the countryside and go on uh, long raiding campaigns? Or did they eventually build settlements and learn to live in peace with the English people? And did the Viking religion of Norse mythology and Norse paganism have any influence on on the English? Or, you know, like, how did the Christian religion of the Anglo-Saxons conflict with the religion of the the pagan Vikings? Yeah, that's an interesting question, actually, because you would think that those two religions would kind of um, be in conflict with each other once the Vikings had um, settled down in England. Um, but actually, it seems that the Vikings converted quite quickly to Christianity, um, and they sort of accepted um, the authority of the church and were prepared to work with um, like the established structures of the English church. So we have kind of um, relatively little evidence for the kind of how that process took place, but it seems like it was actually, it took place quite quickly. Um, and very, very soon you had kind of a Christianized Viking population in England. Wow. It's interesting. Now, you know, indeed the Vikings did, correct me if I'm wrong, but they did have a lot of influence in shaping, I don't know if shaping the landscape would be the the right word, but I know that um, they were involved with building up uh, the city of York or Jorvik as they called it. Um, but what sort of influence politically and culturally do the Vikings have on England as a nation? I mean, of course, back then it wasn't a nation. It was divided into several different kingdoms. But I suppose the collective culture of England, you can understand my question, sort of how did the what, what did the Vikings um, contribute to to the nation's history, culture, traditions? One of the interesting things that the Vikings did actually um, kind of not in any way deliberately um, was to play a part in the formation of the Kingdom of England. Because, as you say, um, at the beginning of the Viking Age, England, what was to become England, um, was divided into a number of independent kingdoms. Um, and the Vikings um, came in and exploited that kind of situation, those sort of political boundaries um, they managed to conquer large parts of the north of England, the Kingdom of Northumbria, um, Kingdom of Lindsay, Kingdom of um, East Anglia, and so on. Um, and it was in pushing back against the Vikings that the kind of one remaining Kingdom of Wessex um, began to expand its power over the rest of England. And that's the beginning of the process that we think of as like the formation of the Kingdom of England. So the Vikings, um, in one way, um, caused a kind of uh, a destructive, um, had a destructive impact um, on the, the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. But in another way, they sort of helped to, um, you know, move that process along of um, kind of unification, actually. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Now, are there any specific individual Vikings or, or Viking leaders that were very instrumental in shaping the country? Are there any notable um, individual Norsemen that can be credited for, as we talked about, shaping the, the culture of England as a, as a country? Well, the situation was really there were a, a, quite a large number of um, armies with different individual leaders um, operating in England at different times. Um, 
and so uh, you know we kind of we know some things about those different leaders and then others are kind of almost lost to obscurity um the ones who are really really famous are the ones who later became known as the sons of Ragnar Lothbrok um so Ivar the Boneless um Halfdan Ubba these kind of men who are now quite famous um, kind of archetypal vikings in a way um and they were part of um, a, a huge army that invaded England in the second half of the ninth century um, and ruled a large part of, of northern England. Um, and they're the ones who sort of, I guess, become the figureheads, particularly in later medieval tradition, for you know who the Vikings were in this period. So interesting. Well, I'd love to take a moment and just explore your upcoming book that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. And of course, I'll put a link uh, where people can pre-order it in the description below. Dragon Lords, the history and legends of Viking England. I know that we'll probably talk more about the actual contents of the book later, just as we have in the beginning here. But you know, why did you decide to write this book? And what is your your book all about? And just, you know, where where's the best uh, place where people can find it? Well, it's really, it's about um, the perception of the Vikings in England, um, really. So it's kind of how people in medieval England thought about and remembered and perceived the impact of um, Viking raids and Viking settlement. Um, so I was interested in trying to understand what kind of, like what sort of stories and legends medieval people told about England's Viking history. Um, that was kind of the, the original idea. Interesting. Yeah, um, like I said, I, I do implore people to... Um, purchase a copy as I know I've gotten my copy uh, ahead of time. And it's um, just the parts that I have read have been absolutely fascinating. And I think that that's really a, a interesting way of understanding the Vikings is um, from the perspective of the, the Anglo-Saxons and, and the English that um, certainly came in, into many close encounters with. Now, before you mentioned Ragnar Lothbrok, and uh, I know obviously thanks to the Vikings TV series, he's uh, quite a famous gentleman nowadays, but and especially his sons, the sons of Ragnar Lothbrok as well. But uh, was he a fictional character, or was is Ragnar Lothbrok an actual historical figure? And regardless of if he was fictional or if he was um, a, a real a real person, what role did he have in shaping um, Viking England? So that's a, a much debated question: Was Ragnar a real person? It seems likely that. There probably was a Viking who may have been the original of Ragnar. Um, and certainly we know that his sons, Ivar and, and the rest, were mostly historical. Um, they were real people. Um, but most of the stories that are told about Ragnar and the things that are said about him are fictional. They're a much later development. Um, and the story was kind of the, the story of the, the father, Ragnar, Ragnar, was kind of formed out of um, the story of the sons. It's kind of a back formation. Um, but in uh, medieval and in um uh, later Scandinavian tradition, he is very much thought of as a kind of, um, you know, one of the most famous Vikings, the most successful Vikings um, of all time, really. Um, and then his sons kind of inherited that mantle, mm. Vikings and invaders. Hey guys, I wanted to take this moment to hear a brief word from our sponsor. Aren't you tired of the same old plastic cups at parties? Want to feel like you're on set in Cottagate or Winterfell? Well, our sponsor could solve these problems. The Froggy Viking is your source for all types of Viking drinkware. Their one-of-a-kind drinking horns are a great conversation piece for any Norse Viking enthusiast. These horns are highly polished and have a food-safe grade lacquer that makes them great for cold liquids. 
I can promise you that their horns are of the highest quality, and I'm quite excited for my own tanker to arrive in the mail. Please check them out at thefroggyviking.com, and they are also on social media at thefroggyviking. All of you listening to this can receive 10% off your order when you use the code VIKINGS10 at checkout. Again, please head over to thefroggyviking.com and receive 10% off your one-of-a-kind drinking horn when you use the code VIKINGS10 at checkout. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, the, the great heathen army of um, the 860s, um, that was a, a massive force of Vikings that, that came to England. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe, um, is it true that the sons of Ragnar Lothbrok were the ones who arguably led that army? Uh, yeah, that's right. Although they weren't known as the Sons of Ragnarothbrook at the time, most likely, but yeah. All right. So what did that army, um, what sort of impact did that have on England, um, the Great Heathen Army? Was that the first um, large force of Vikings to come to England that were there to stay? Um, it wasn't absolutely the first, but it was a kind of the one which had a really big impact, um, partly because they were so successful, uh, they managed to conquer um, the Kingdom of Northumbria by conquering York. Um, they put St. Edmund of East Anglia to death and he became um, one of the most famous victims of the Vikings. Um, and then they put a lot of pressure um, on uh, the kingdoms of Mercia and Wessex. And so they were in, in lots of ways like the most successful um, Viking army to date. Um, and then uh, until you get to the beginning of the 11th century, when you get the invasions of Spain, Fort Beard and Canute, um, another wave of Viking invasion, um, yeah, they were definitely kind of some of the most successful Vikings ever to have come to England, really. Wow. Your book, Dragon Lords, The History and Legends of Viking England. Um, what what sources do we have um, for how the, the English perceived the Vikings? And I don't know, but to me, it seems like there's a large difference between the, you know, English or, or the Anglo-Saxons and the Scandinavian Vikings. I mean, their religions uh, were vastly different. Um, the languages, um, you know, Old English and Old Norse, I mean, I suppose there's some similarities, but even in a way, those are totally different. Um, I don't know much about the fashion of the time, but it seems like there might be some difference there. But how is it that these two, uh, is it possible that the Vikings and the people living in England at the time were able to, to live in harmony or did they, did they learn to get along? Like in, in medieval towns, uh, would the, the English have lived amongst the Vikings, Scandinavians, and would they have intermarried and, and started families together? Yeah, definitely. They did learn to get along, um, despite a rather violent beginning. Um, actually, the two um, groups are not quite as different as um, as the, you know we might think from this uh, perspective, from this distance. Um, you know, their languages are actually quite closely related, so they would be able to communicate. Um, obviously, there were cultural differences, um, but you know, for the purposes of, for instance, living in cities and trading with people, with you know neighbouring um, populations, they could kind of get along with each other. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, in the book, I'm very much uh, looking at a kind of later period, looking back to um, the Anglo-Saxon um, kind of the integration of the Vikings in the Anglo-Saxon period. And by that time, later in the later medieval period, um, there, it was possible to kind of perceive as many similarities um, between uh, England and Scandinavia as it was differences. I think, you know, they actually aren't that geographically and culturally, they aren't that far apart. Definitely. That's really interesting to me. 
when the Vikings did come to England, did they tend to scatter across the country or they or were the, the groups of Vikings um, concentrated in specific towns and in, in cities, kind of like um, in the late um, 1800s, early 1900s, when um, immigrants from all over the world flocked to America? I know that they tended to um, you know, sort of focus in one area. So for example, where I live in Wisconsin, in the United States, that's a very German state. Uh, 53% of all the people of Wisconsin can trace their heritage back to Germany. And I know, you know, people from Spain tend to do uh, settle in the Southern United States. So did the Vikings just, um, when they came to England, did they tend to stick in, in close clusters or did they basically spread throughout the country? Um, well, the majority of Viking settlement, um, particularly in the kind of earlier part of the period, ninth and 10th century, um, was really um, in the North of England. Um, and there they kind of, I don't think we should imagine them in sort of little enclaves necessarily. Um, they were kind of quite widely distributed. Um, in the south of England, you, it seems like we got kind of smaller um, and more like um, individual populations, I suppose. So, I mean, like in a town um, such as Oxford, for instance, um, there's evidence of a kind of small Viking, uh, small Danish presence um, where it seems like the Danes were sort of concentrated in a particular part of the city. Um but actually, in the north, I think you could have you know, found the Danes and the, the um, Scandinavians all over the place, really. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And my next question is, um, while reading your book, I mean, I kind of got excited and, and skipped ahead a little bit. But um, I know the, the epilogue of your book is titled uh, The Danes in English Folklore. Um, what do you mean by English folklore and what sort of impact did the – the Vikings and you know, specifically the Danes have on the lore of the English? Well, in that part of the book, I'm really looking at um, 16th and 17th century uh, sources onwards. Um, once you start to get um, a lot of folklore and local traditions being written down really for the first time, and there what you find is quite uh, interestingly widely distributed stories about these these people called the Danes, who we would call the Vikings. But of course, um, Viking wasn't really a word that was used much before the 19th century. Um, so you get stories about like um, features of the landscape, um, place names being associated with the Danes um, and stories being told about them, um, about Viking armies or about battles being fought. Um, now kind of like a thousand years or so after um, the Viking period, but people were still sort of trying making up stories really about um, the Vikings um, in local folklore and linking them to particular places. Do you think that the the English in those centuries were proud of their Viking heritage, or were they kind of ashamed that um, they were descended from these these pagans that would uh, you know sell people into slavery and pillage innocent monasteries and and, and etc. Well, I think it's it's quite a complicated picture, really. Um, uh, you know, people have uh, historically been very interested in the Vikings, even if they don't necessarily approve of all the things that they do. I mean, much like we are, <laughs> probably all the listeners to your podcast to kind of really like the Vikings, but also don't totally you know, go along with everything they did. So I think there's a kind of element of um, fascination with the Vikings. And yeah, probably a degree of pride, even if they're also seen perhaps as sort of, you know, not necessarily people you'd want to imitate. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I think my next question then would be, you know, we talked about um, how the Vikings got to England, the impact that they had on the country, certainly in the Middle Ages, but even, you know, in the 17th century, as you say, in, in the 
the folklore. So what is the biggest takeaway from your book, Dragon Lords? Um, what is the, the sort of the underlying key concept? What's the biggest impact the Vikings had on English history? I mean, let's just say that the Vikings never came to England. Uh, how different would English history look? Well, I think the biggest takeaway from my book really is that there are lots of different ways of thinking about the Vikings um, and understanding their impact. And we have a certain view of the Vikings, which is based on having read a range of medieval sources and also having read kind of 19th and 20th century historiography. But actually, if you can kind of if you look back beyond that, that particular interpretation of the Vikings, um, you can see that people have people in, for instance, middle, medieval England thought about them in various different ways. Um, that you know that the, the image that we have of the Vikings is um, a kind of culturally determined one, um, but at different points in history and at different times, um, people have seen the Vikings in different ways. And and when talking about the Vikings in England, uh, like you said before, the word Viking wouldn't have meant really anything to the people of the medieval world. But uh, were there any distinctions between the different regions that the Vikings came from, such as the Vikings from? Denmark. I know in your book you talk a lot about um, the Danes, so the Vikings from Denmark. Um, you know the the Vikings from Sweden, Norway. Were there any distinctions, or were they all just kind of like grouped together in this one group of um, sort of barbaric Norsemen? Well, certainly in the Anglo-Saxon period, people were much more alert to those differences. Um, English audiences were not always kind of completely attuned to the differences between, you know, Norwegians and Swedes and so on. But um, in Anglo-Saxon sources, you do get a distinction between Danes and Norwegians and, um, you know, Icelanders and people from other parts of um, Scandinavia. In later medieval sources, um, and this is why I tend to use the word Danes a lot in my book, um, they kind of tend to be all called Danes, whether they were from Denmark or not. Um, so in lots of ways, the word Dane is Danes is used as we use Vikings to refer to kind of medieval Scandinavians. Um, wherever they came from. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's really, that's really interesting. Eleanor Parker, thank you so much for joining me today on uh, the History of Vikings podcast. It's been an, an absolute pleasure of mine to have you on the show and um, best of luck with your book. Uh, Eleanor, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of the History of Vikings, do me a favor and write me a review. You can always feel free to contact me. My email is noah at thehistoryofvikings.com. Thank you so much for listening to the History of Vikings. Join us right here again next week. Mm-hmm.